Let me ask you to fill in the blank here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. heaven. Okay, so then what's the question? What's it like in heaven? What's it like in heaven that we should be praying to see here on earth? We're in the last of our four-part series called Blended Biblical Stories of Reconciliation and Justice for Our Divided World. That word reconciliation means coming together in Jesus to be a new kind of family, a new kind of people. And justice means God's people setting things right for the poor, caring about the vulnerable, saying we're part of a family together and we care about each other's problems. And we've been going at that for three weeks, and today is our final uh, in that series. And we're asking the question, on earth as it is in heaven, well, what's it like in heaven? We're looking at Revelation 7, 9 through 10. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll read. Father God, we pray that you would bless this time, that this wouldn't just be something that's informational, but transformational, that this would change the way, as we look at your word, this would change the way that we see you and we see our lives, that your spirit would come and open our eyes to new things and and change what we do and change what we love and change how we live. All of this is only possible if you just bless the preaching of your word. We ask this not because we're good, but because you are good. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Revelation is a book that is often complicated, but in its most simplistic form, it's meant to be an encouragement to us, to give us hope of what God will certainly do, to help us persevere right here and right now as we get a window into what the future is going to hold. And we get this picture from Revelation chapter 7, and it says this, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John goes on and says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know... And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them from his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of God. On earth as it is in heaven, so what's it like in heaven? Well, John tells us, he says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people. Immediately we get this sense that heaven is not segregated. Heaven is not mono-ethnic. 
Heaven is not monocultural. Heaven is not made up of one language. Rather, heaven is a multicultural mosaic of people. Heaven is a tapestry of different tribes and nation. It's a patchwork of diverse people. Far from being colorblind, the first thing we see in this passage about heaven is that it is made up of different shades of people from all over the world. There's no ethnic majority because heaven is blended. Heaven is blended. And one of the reasons that we always talk about being God's blended family is because heaven is blended. But this blended people is standing before a throne, which means they're standing together before God the King. And if you know your Bible or if you're learning about the Bible, standing before the throne is usually not a good thing. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 finds himself in the temple before the throne of God and God shows up and his glory and his beauty and his goodness and his righteousness is revealed to Isaiah. And far from celebrating, Isaiah crumples before the throne. He is terrified. He's a man of God. He speaks the words of God as a prophet. But the only thing he could say is, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. See, normally when people stand before the throne of God, the first thing they realize is that they should not be standing before the throne of God. When people come into God's presence, they immediately see that God is pure, and they are not. God is clean, and they're stained by sin. God is holy, and they are sinful. And that's exactly what Isaiah sees being in the presence of God in all his perfection and power immediately convinces Isaiah that he should not be in God's presence. Just like Isaiah, all of us have been stained by sin. See, humanity's problem is we think that we should be on that throne. And we think that we should be in control of our lives. God had power from the beginning, had a plan for flourishing, and we rebelled against him. And our uncleanness separates us from his presence. Because we have looked at him and said, that throne should be ours. We separate ourselves from him. And then when we come into his presence, we realize we should not be in his presence. He is holy and righteous, and we are not. See, what Isaiah saw in God's presence was God's moral perfection. There was no flaw in God. But when Isaiah saw God, he immediately realized that he was flawed. He was impure. He was sinful. And in that moment, Isaiah sees the beauty of God, but he is terrified. Terrified that he is going to be crushed. Not because God is an oppressive ruler, but because we all fall short of God's glory and beauty. We have rebelled against him. And that rebellion separates us from him. That's why we walk around this life going, I think God is like this, or I think God is like that. We don't really know. We don't really know. We're all reaching out, trying to find him because we've been separated from him, but also separated from his plan for life. Separated from his plan for life. God, as I said, is not an oppressive ruler. He, he designed life so that we would flourish and enjoy relationship with him and love him and love one another. But when we rebelled, everything went haywire and death came into the world. And so when we reached the end of our lives, 
we face death, where our body and our spirit are separated. And God, who is the righteous judge, has the right, as the one who sits on the throne, to determine what happens next. And he says, if you don't turn to me, you will be eternally separated from me. See, that's terrifying. But this passage that we're looking at, where all these people are before the throne, isn't one of terror. It's one of joy. It's one of confidence. It's one of hope. Far from being terrified by God, these people are flocking to God, praising him and worshiping him. Why? Why? It says that they are before the throne, but also before the Lamb. They stand before God's throne, but it's not just them and God on his throne. It is them, God on his throne, and the Lamb. In the Bible, the Lamb means a pure thing that is sacrificed on behalf of an impure thing. It's something that's righteous and clean that's given up to pay a debt that someone who's unclean and unrighteous owes. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus was sent as a substitute for you. So even though God is righteous and holy, he is loving and compassionate. And Jesus is sent to this world as a sacrifice for you. He's clean and he's righteous because he is God. But he enters in and he leaves his throne to become a man and walk among us and pay the debts that we owe. Jesus, the lamb, was sinless. And Jesus, the lamb, was put on the cross in your place. And Jesus, the lamb, died the death that you deserve to die. And Jesus, the lamb, took your stain and your uncleanness and your impurity on himself. And Jesus, the lamb, paid the debt that you owe God. And now if you trust him, you are cleansed. You are cleansed and welcome to the throne of God. You see, Jesus was put in the tomb, but he didn't stay there. On the third day, he rose from the grave and he ascended up to heaven to the throne room of God, where he now represents you and me so that when we approach the throne of God, we do so with respect and honor, but no longer terror because we have been cleansed and are welcome. Our representative is there on our behalf. You see these people here in this picture, it says that they are clothed in white robes. They have been washed clean because of what Christ has done for them. You see, heaven is made up of blended people, but blended people who have been cleansed by the work of of Jesus. Heaven is a place of blended people who have been cleansed by the work of Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done for them, heaven is also this place of celebration. It says that they have palm branches in their hand, which which represent victory and royalty, and that they're crying out with a loud voice, not crying in pain, but crying in joy and singing praises It's amazing that it says a loud voice because we already know that they're from every people, nation, tribe, and language. And in our world today, there's over 6,500 spoken 
languages. And here we have this picture of heaven, of this diverse, blended family worshiping Jesus with one voice, but not necessarily the same language. They're speaking in their native tongue, but they're saying the same message. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Far from trying to take the throne from God, they are praising God with one voice in many languages that the throne is his and that Jesus has saved them. Heaven is made up of blended people who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and now celebrate and worship Jesus Christ. Now, that should give you hope. That should give you a sense of perseverance in this life because if that's where you're headed, you have a picture of where you're going. This is how it will be in heaven. Fulfillment, relationship with one another, no barriers between people just because we're different, just because we speak different languages or just because we look different. We'll be united worshiping Jesus together. But is that how it is on earth? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth is not like how it is in heaven. Earth or our city or our country, people are separated from God, first of all, and unaware of his love. I was reading that in Broward County in the 2010 census, it said that over 60% of people, so 60% of people in this county would classify themselves as nuns. And not nuns like a Catholic nun, but N-O-N-E-S, meaning they have no religious affiliation, meaning that the majority of people in our county have no uh, desire or are not walking with Jesus Christ. And that should alert us because that number has doubled since the 2000 census. The number of people who classify themselves as nuns has doubled from 2000 to 2010 in our county. People are separated from God and unaware of his love here on earth. But we're also divided from each other. We're divided from each other. We live in a society that is a racialized society. And the word racialized means that a society is where perceived race matters immensely. It makes a big difference what your perceived race is. It matters profoundly for life experiences, opportunities, and interpersonal relationships. And we can see a little bit of that just by looking at a map of Broward and Dade County. This is Broward and Dade County according to race. So green is people who have black skin. Blue is people who have white skin. Orange is people who are from a Hispanic background. And you can see that just in Dade and Broward County, there is very separated based on race. It's a racialized society. It's a racialized society. But not only that, in our city, here's East Hollywood and Hallandale, the area where we are, um, where we're meeting, you can see towards the bottom, that blue dot is where you are at right now. And although there's a good amount of diversity, there's still a decent amount of separation based on race and socioeconomics. Dixie Highway, which you see going across there, is one of the main divides in this area. 
It separates people based on race and it separates people based on socioeconomics. And as we talked to people when we first started this church, as we talked to people in our cities, that was one thing that we heard often was you should live here but not here or here but not here. But here's the problem. I think the church has submitted to these divisions. And I think the reason why it's not on earth like it is in heaven is because followers of Jesus have followed these separations rather than crossing those barriers. We've submitted to the barriers and our churches often look like uh, the, the divisions in our city. They're often made up based on race or a socioeconomic group or a culture rather than looking like that picture from heaven. And that's the thing. The local church is supposed to look like a picture of heaven here on earth. People from every tribe and nation and language and people together worshiping Jesus. Why? Why have we fallen short of that? Why have we fallen short of that picture here on earth? Well, I think that the church has done a good job of grasping onto the gospel. The gospel is that the the Lamb of God has died for your sins, and now he cleanses you when you repent and believe. I think we've done a good job as a church of embracing the good news of Jesus and preaching that in our pulpits. But I think we've embraced the gospel and other things. I think we've embraced the gospel and something called the homogeneous unity principle. The homogeneous unity principle. Now, some of you are going, genius what? What is he talking about? The homogeneous unity principle is this principle that says, if you get people together who are alike, it'll be easier for them to come to faith. And it'll be easier for you to grow your church. So homogeneous means alike. Unity means one principle. Alike people will unite. The problem is, that's not biblical. The problem is that's not what Jesus' vision is for his church. Jesus wants it to be on earth like it is in heaven. And we may be growing churches through the homogeneous unity principle, but it's not the right principle to grow churches by. I think that we buy into that principle because we often buy into this idea of individualism and individual comfort. We think about church in a way that should make me comfortable and I, and I am around people who are like me. But that's not Jesus' purpose for his church. And it's possible that there are so many nuns and so many post-Christian thinkers in our county, not because they don't find Jesus compelling, but maybe they just don't find us compelling. Maybe when we go to church just because it's comfortable and people are like us, Maybe they look at that and say, I can do that anywhere. I can join a club. I can join a club based on a special interest or based on a language or based on an ethnicity or or a people group. Maybe it's just that they don't find us compelling as the church. So what do we do? What do we do as the church who finds ourselves in this situation where Society is racialized and separated and many of our churches are based on a a culture or socioeconomic group or an ethnicity. Well, we, we can't let go of the gospel. 
We have to keep preaching the gospel and talking about the bad news that we're stained in our sin, but the good news that the Lamb of God has cleansed us from our sin. We need to embrace the gospel and keep doing that. But we also must embrace the mystery of the gospel. We need to embrace the gospel, but also the mystery of the gospel. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, God's grace was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Did you see the word mystery? Mystery. Paul's about to tell us what this mystery is. Here's the mystery. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Paul talks about the gospel, but he also talks about the mystery of the gospel. And the mystery of the gospel is that in the gospel, Jews and Gentiles become one. Jews and Gentiles, which is the greatest division in human history, according to the Bible, have a wall come down between them and they come together to worship Jesus. And when Paul says mystery, he's not talking about mysterious. He's talking about it's amazing that the gospel can do this and bring people together to form God's blended family. Paul was so committed to not only the gospel, but the mystery of the gospel, that he was actually imprisoned for the mystery of the gospel. So that's right. We're often taught that Paul was thrown in prison because he was teaching about Jesus. That's partially true. But if you look at Acts 21, Paul is back in Jerusalem and he's giving a speech to fellow Jews. And he says, listen, I was part of the people that that killed Stephen. You remember that when I killed Stephen? And they're listening to him. And he says, but on the road to Damascus, I met Jesus and I was converted. And then I was baptized and my sins were forgiven. I had this spiritual experience with Jesus. And Jesus commissioned me to be an apostle. And at this point, everyone's listening to him, talking about the good news and Jesus and the gospel. But then he says what Jesus tells him. Paul looks at those fellow Jews and said, Jesus tells me, or Jesus told me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And literally it says, up to this word, they listened to him. But as soon as he talked about crossing a barrier with the gospel to reach people that were not part of the Jewish community, they imprison him. They say, this cannot be said. There is no way that the gospel that you're talking about is meant to cross barriers like that. And Paul was thrown in prison for preaching the mystery of the gospel. Look what he says here at the end of Ephesians. He says, pray also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul was thrown from prison 
definitely for preaching about Jesus, but for specifically preaching the mystery of Jesus. That in Jesus, God makes one blended family as the wall comes down. It says, pray for me that I might declare the mystery of the gospel boldly as I ought to speak. You see, if we really want to see heaven come on earth, we have to embrace the gospel, but we also have to embrace the mystery of the gospel. That in Jesus, he is making one family for people from different tribes and nations and languages and all countries. And as we embrace the gospel and the mystery of the gospel, we can expect that Jesus will do something fantastic in us. I think we've often embraced the gospel, but not the mystery of the gospel. And and sometimes that's looked like getting the gospel doctrinally correct, but lacking a blended family as an expression of that gospel. See, we can't pray on earth as it is in heaven and leave out the blended part. That's what's going to happen. So do we see blending as one vision among many? I I get that a lot when, when when I... talked about the vision for this church. A lot of people just said, that's, that's really beautiful. That's really nice. I'm glad you're called to that. And my response was, we're all called to this. This is Jesus's vision for his church. The local church is meant to be a preview of the throne room of God, where every nation and tribe and people of language joins together to worship Jesus. Russ Whitfield says it's not about being politically correct. We're not trying to be a blended family because it's PC. Rather, this cross-cultural love has everything to do with the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Theologically, our goal is not to seek diversity as an end in itself because this would be too small an endeavor. Rather, the great end of this pursuit is doxology through diversity or worship through blending. Our goal should be to glorify our cross-cultural Savior by cultivating a cross-cultural community that maintains a cross-cultural witness to the grace and glory of God. You see, as we embrace that Jesus' vision for his church is blending, Jesus will show himself in the community. Because as you, as you embrace people who you would normally not get along with and normally not agree with and normally not even be in the same room with, the city takes notice and said, what's the common denominator? What is bringing those people together? Are they a social club? club? Are they an affinity group? Are they all alike? And the answer is no. We're God's blended family. We're God's blended family. And as we embrace the mystery of the gospel, Jesus puts himself on display through us. This has really been a fun series and a challenging series to go through the last four weeks. And I know that many of you have been stretched. And as we walk away from this series, we're not walking away from Jesus's vision. We're just gonna go deeper into it. We're gonna go deeper into it. But I wanna give you some practical things that I think as we move forward, we need to embrace. First of all, I think we need to celebrate when blending happens because we're celebrating the mystery of the gospel. One of you told me that, um, one of you who's white told me that you had an interaction in the past couple weeks with someone who was black and it was a new experience for you. 
And as you converse with that person, your eyes were open to the black experience in the United States. And this person told me I wept the rest of the afternoon because I was, as I was in relationship with someone who was different than me, my eyes were opened to what it's like to be them. And it, just, and it wrecked me. But that's blending. That's what happens when we come together. We learn about each other's lives and each other's experiences and it changes and broadens our perspective. And so I told that person, far from that being a bad thing, that's something to be celebrated because in that moment you grew as we were blended together. But I also think we need to persevere in blending because at times it's not easy. And Paul himself, as he proclaimed the mystery of the gospel, was thrown in prison. And he faced real challenges and real barriers. And in our country, we have real challenges and real barriers. There's history here. People were not allowed into churches because of their race. People were told that they were less because of their race. And even today, there's totem poles in our society. And those are very real. And so we have to put on the mindset that this just doesn't happen. We have to persevere in the mystery of the gospel. We have to persevere in blending. Some of you are having tough conversations with people. As you begin to see this theme throughout scripture, that God's making his blended family, you've, you've had some tough conversations with other people who say, don't worry about that, you know. And let me encourage to persevere in those conversations. Show them in scripture what Jesus' vision is for his church, but let me encourage you not to beat people over the head with it. A friend of mine, Jonathan Seda, said he was determined not to divide over the issue of unity, okay? So let's persevere in blending, but let's do it with love and compassion. But I think also um, we can be humbled because we can be honest about how far we have to go here at New City Fellowship. You know, we, we have a long way to go to continue to pursue this vision. But we don't have to pretend that we're further along than we do. My hope is that one day the leadership of this church looks exactly like the makeup of this community. And that together, it's not just me up here preaching. We're hearing different voices from different cultures, bringing God's word to us. But we have a long way to go before we get there. And so we can be honest about that because this isn't our idea. This is Jesus's vision for his church. And if it's Jesus's vision for his church, that should give us hope that he will carry us and he will bring it to pass as we embrace the gospel and the mystery of the gospel. You know, I was so encouraged over the, week, over the past week because I was just looking at that map that I put up earlier and I'll put it back up for you. And I was trying to remember when I made this map and I realized that I made this map as I looked on the file that it was made in March of 2014. When I was still in St. Louis, this idea of a church was still just an idea. And as I made this map and began to analyze our city and, and write down economic brackets and just look at where we could end up meeting and things like that, I felt a very strong sense that we were to meet west of Dixie Highway that that was the place where my family was to live and that was the place where we were to meet as a church. And as I looked at that, that map and continued to just think about it and pray about it, I felt very strongly that the best place to do that would be right on Pembroke Road. 
And I even made a couple marks here. I'll show you. Here's a little A that says uh, Hallandale High School. As I Googled places, I thought Hallandale High School would be a fantastic place just to be in the center of all this community, in the center of, uh, of the blending and the division. Or another place could be McNichol Middle. And I wrote Hallandale right here in McNichol Middle. Four months before we moved here, we didn't even start gathering people for another year after that. That was two and a half years ago. And I had no clue what God would open up right here for us in the middle of all this diversity. The last place we met was right next door to the, to the B, not at McNichol Middle, but at McNichol Community Center. And the place we're meeting now is in Hallandale High School, which is a block away, but right where you can see Pembroke Road. And as I looked at that, and as I, I told my wife about that, we thought, that is so encouraging. Because this vision isn't mine. This vision isn't ours. This vision is Jesus's. Blending is Jesus's vision for his church. And if he's opening doors for us slowly, it's been slow, hasn't it? It's been slow. But if he already has opened up doors for us, he will continue to open up doors. And that gives us incredible hope. This is Jesus's church. It's not my church. It's not anybody else's church. It's not the denomination's church that I'm a part of. This is Jesus's church. And Jesus's vision for the church is to be God's blended family. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have come and died on the cross for us and risen from the dead and ascended to the throne room and welcomed us before God. Lord, by your power, we pray that you would lead us into deeper blending, into deeper expression of the mystery of the gospel as we embrace the gospel. Jesus, we confess that uh, we can't make this happen, but we're here knowing that you can. And all God's people said, amen.